Hello everyone, I'm Lydia. And I'm Sara. And this is Hitchcock Happy Hour's Spooky Season Special. Where for the entire month of October, we'll be discussing the evolution of horror by analyzing some of our favorite spooky movies. One autumnal cocktail at a time. Cheers! Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hitchcock Happy Hour. I'm Lydia Jordan. And I am Sarah Shaw. And this week is the commencement, the kickoff, the grand opening, if you will, of our spooktacular October. Oh my god, we're, we've been just so excited about this month we're doing. As you heard from our last episode, we decided to dedicate the month of October to um, like a spooky season special. We're not doing a single Hitchcock movie. And we decided to just go go ham on the horror. <laughs> and so we chose a lineup of really fun horror movies to kind of take you guys through the evolution of horror and go con- chronologically like through some of the most famous classic horrors throughout the decades um, in America, in American film. And we're really excited. And this is our first episode and we've just been dying to get going on this. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> I mean, literally so excited. So yeah, for the whole month of October, we'll be dropping two episodes a week, again, covering some of our favorite horrors, um, horror movies, some that we haven't watched before too, which will be really fun. Um, and we'll be dropping some really fucking bomb cocktails. So we are back with our cocktails, baby. Yeah. Our cocktail game is strong. Like no more like fucking weak, like no more wine. Okay. No more (laughs) wine. We're not lazy. We're adults. You know what? We're not lazy. You can't be lazy. We have lots of freaking autumnal cocktails. There's a lot of cider and things. Cocktails. Yes, autumnal and a lot that look like blood because you know what? Whatever. We're that's what these movies look like. They look I, like blood. I apologize for nothing. <laughs> apologize for nothing, and as you should. And yeah, we're really excited. We are. We've bounced back from our lazy wine days, and we're back with some bomb cocktails. And we're coming at you better Ugh, than ever. Better, let me just say better than ever. And um, can I say that we're a little bit coming in hot this week, if you will. <laughs> Sarah, what what are we drinking? Well, thank you so much for that wonderful setup, Lydia. (laughs) We are this week drinking mulled wine. We've each got our white mugs that we're drinking out of that nobody else can see. Or the glue vine, if you will. (laughs) Nope, I'm done. (laughs) Nobody nobody willed that. I'll see myself out. (laughs) Or your van show if you're in uh, if you're in France. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got our glue wine, our, our mold wine, whatever you want to call it. It is a hot, tasty, like probably the best smelling thing in the entire world. Um, it's hot wine mixed with apple cider and a variety of spices and you mull it over time and it gets really warm and it's just the tastiest, like perfect cocktail for like hot, you know, when it's when you want to like have be hot and cozy and it's cold outside. I know I just realized that we did say we're not coming at you with any more wine yet. We just have a wine cocktail. <laughs> but it's a wine just put cocktail. Like we didn't just like put wine in a glass. We were like, look, we added we put some wine in a mug. <laughs> we added some carefully considered mulling spices, like a slice of orange. <laughs> we sure did. We put a slice. of We orange let that in bitch this. simmer for thirty minutes. You don't know. Tell me how you made your mulled wine, Lydia. <laughs> okay, so I took. I mean. It's like, this is what I love about it. I feel like it's not rocket science. I took... It's so easy. ...a red blend because it was the cheapest, and I'm not sorry, whatever. I was cooking it. It's a... Whatever. Got a red blend, some some fresh-pressed apple cider, delish. I put some star anise, some cinnamon sticks. I didn't put any cloves because I have a weird aversion to them, but you could do that, and you should. Yeah. I yeah. didn't do that. I, I like a good clove. I don't like nutmeg. As my in terms of like winter spices, it's my one that I just I have a weird aversion to that one. You know, I, we're which, all allowed yeah. an, an aversion to a winter spice. Mine is cloves. <laughs> yours can be yours can be nutmeg. <laughs> we'll never speak of it again. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to talk about it anymore. But yeah, I I think I did the same thing as you. I I just did that exact recipe and and uh, mix it together and add a little orange slice to top it off at the end. And it's it's just so tasty and warm. And it's just like the perfect, like on a cloudy day, put in a nice horror movie, get your mulled wine. Ugh, ugh, chef's kiss. Perfection. Incredible. And it's, and it's hitting me. Oh, yeah. Well, it's wine. So you're like, True. hello. I'm like, <laughs> bunger at me. <laughs> as usual. 
Um, but yeah, so that is what we're going to be drinking while we talk about the probably original horror movie, 1931 Dracula. So I think we should just jump right in, shall we? Um, absolutely. And get ready because I will try to do my best Count Dracula impression <laughs> at multiple points of this episode. So. Are you going to do a Count Dracula impression or are you going to do a Count from Sesame Street impression? Both, <laughs> both at the same time. <laughs> I'll just start I counting. Wait. I can't, I can't wait. And like, yeah, this there's some there's some great facial expressions in this movie, and we, we'll we'll discuss that. But uh, yeah, let's let's dive right in. So today we're talking about the 1931 pre-code supernatural horror movie Dracula. It was directed by Tom Browning, written by Garrett Ford, Garrett Fort for the screen. Um, it is based on the 1924 stage play Dracula, which was in turn an adaptation of the 1897 novel by Bram Stoker. And yeah, this movie was uh, pretty, pretty true to the stage play, as evident by the fact that it is filmed pretty much as a stage play. <laughs> it is pretty much the vibe of the movie. Yeah, it's considered the first American horror film, so this is, like, Ooh. the one that kind of kicked off the, like, the horror genre in, in the U.S. Uh, it stars Bella Lugosi as Count Dracula, and let me tell you, this man, 10 out of 10. He is so good. Uh, 11 out of 10. I love him, and 10 points for him, 1 point for his eyebrows. Oh my god, <laughs> That is a really good point. His eyebrows did all their own all their own stunts. <laughs> I know they did. They were like, we did not come here to play. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Like he wasn't actually with I thought this was really interesting. He wasn't actually the first choice or second choice or third choice or fourth choice for this role. He actually lobbied really hard for it. He had previously played Dracula on the in the Broadway production. Oh. And he really wanted to do this like this movie and they didn't really want him in it, but he lobbied super hard and he accepted a huge pay cut. So they paid him five yeah, they paid him $500 a week for seven weeks of filming, so it was a total of $3,500, which, uh, adjusted for inflation, is $62,000 today, so that's the total amount of money he got for this movie. Oh my god, no! <laughs> yeah, so he did not get a lot of money <laughs> to do this thing, um, but yeah, it was, it's really funny, so... This is considered the first adaptation, film adaptation of this movie. It's also considered the first horror movie, even though there was actually an adaptation of Bram, Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula that had been made in a silent film in 1922 called Nosferatu by the German expressionist director F.W. Manau. Um, that movie, there was some drama with that. It was actually made without, uh, Bram Stoker's permission, and his wife sued for plagiarism in the German courts and won, and so the court ordered that all copies be destroyed, <laughs> so it's not considered the first adaptation <laughs> <Dracula>. yikes <laughs> yeah i think there's probably like a lost copy out there or something but oh my god um, could you imagine was, finding that yeah. you don't yeah. you don't know what and you you're have. and you don't know what it is and you you pop that in and you're like what the fuck <laughs> is this so it's a silent movie which may it's probably really weird so <laughs> haven't seen it <laughs> um, um, has anyone that's still I alive probably not <laughs> i don't know uh, but yeah, so this was produced by Universal Pictures, and that's a it's a really interesting um, story in itself. So Universal Pictures uh, was a Poverty Row studio, and we haven't done an episode on the studio system, which I think we might do at some point because it is really a fascinating history. We talked a little bit about Hollywood and the film industry in our pre-code episode or our Hayes Code episode. Um, but Universal, it's a really interesting situation. So the studio system, basically the film industry was 100% run by studios. Um, they ran literally every aspect of every actor's life. Everyone was contracted and everything like that. So the main studios were MGM, Warner Brothers, um, studios like that. So then there was, they were, they had a lot of money. They had all the contracted stars, there were these studios called Poverty Row Studios that were literally always on the brink of bankruptcy, did not have any, like, contracted stars. They always got loan loaner stars from other studios. Universal was one of those. It had a hard time with the transition from silence to talkies. It didn't do it as, like, smoothly as some of the other studios just because it didn't have the budget for the equipment that it needed for that. Um, 
So the head of that studio ended up acquiring the rights to the stage play for Dracula for $40,000 and it and to produce the movie which led Universal to find its random like niche with horror movies because Universal became known for its horror movies it actually created its own like kind of subgenre of universal horror like there it's a very specific style of of atmospheric horror all of their original horror movies are pretty similar in that way so that included movies like after Dracula because it ended up being a huge success Dracula was like wildly successful so they were like as classic <laughs> Hollywood studio they're like oh let's this do it let's, again <laughs> let's do it again we got the <laughs> formula <laughs> down <laughs> and so they did Frankenstein they did the mummy they did the bride of Frankenstein the invisible man and and a bunch of other movies after that and so they had um I think it was up until the 40s they had a lot of like very very famous horror movies and that was kind of their thing they were the only studio really doing it um in the atmospheric way that that they did so yeah ultimately created its own genre really propelled the horror genre forward in into kind of popular culture and it all started with Dracula and with the success of of um of this movie so I think with that we can kind of jump into the plot and we'll kind of break down we'll go through the plot pretty in in depth and just kind of like break down scenes and and discuss it so because it is there's like so much going on even though it doesn't seem it seems very simple but it's just in terms of cinematography there's like a lot going on in these movies so um the movie starts with a solicitor on business his name is Renfield he is driven to Dracula's Transylvanian castle by a coach with Dracula disguised as the driver En route, Renfield sticks his head out the window to ask the driver to slow down, but he sees the driver has disappeared and the the carriage is being led by bats instead of horses. <laughs> yeah, and um, the use of bats in this movie, I will say, is very interesting. Um, it's it's fabulous. They don't hide that they are on strings, which I, I find was going very to say. They they did their best, but that fishing line is it is very much there. <laughs> the the budget was not was not a lot. So Renfield enters this castle, um, and he's welcomed by the charming but eccentric Count Dracula, who, uh, unbeknownst to Renfield, is a vampire. And we enter this castle, and this this is like quite a famous scene in terms of set design and cinematography because nothing I think up until this point in film in terms of set design had really been done this way and it's like the quintessential like the the tropes of like Halloween horror like really come from this scene in this movie because you it's just you they walk into this castle and it is just dripping with atmosphere like it's just the cobwebs everywhere the lanterns the like burning wax candles like spiders on the wall like yes. everything like random gravestones there's like <laughs> some armadillos just... in there like what are they doing in Transylvania? we don't know but they're hanging out <laughs> we have no idea but there they are um so it's just one of those really iconic like you see it and you're just like oh this is literally where the image that we think of when we think of like the spirit of halloween <laughs> comes from this movie and this scene specifically so uh renfield enters um he isn't really that i mean he's a little bit like this is weird but like i'd be a little bit more concerned if i were him but anyway that's just me um they discuss dracula's intent to lease uh carfax ab carfax abbey carfax abbey i don't remember uh in england carfax <laughs> carfax like i'm sorry are we being sponsored right now <laughs> um he they discussed dracula's intent to intent to lease carefax abbey in england and while they do that dracula hypnotizes renfield into opening a window when renfield randomly faints as a bat appears um dracula's three wives i think close in on him there's just like these three random women in like white like dresses i don't know where they came from but yeah very drapey dracula like waves them away and then he attacks renfield himself so um, we cut to being aboard a, a boat and Renfield, they're going on their way to England. Renfield is now crazy. He's raving mad and he is um, now working for Dracula as kind of like his like, like slave, slave manservant. Yeah. Like manservant situation. He's like insane, like a raving lunatic. Um, he hides Dracula in a coffin and 
during the night and during the day, or sorry, during the day and during the night, he feeds on the ship's crew of Dracula. It's really interesting. When I was watching the scene, I did not realize that Renfield and the the crazy guy in the scene were like the same person until later. The actor, like, I want to just give him some props. He does really well. Like, he, he's really good. The guy yeah. that plays Renfield is really good in this movie. I also thought the same thing because then for a minute I was like, hey, who was that guy in the first scene? He was so forgettable. And, like, we had no emotional attachment to him. And then and then here he is. He, A performance of a lifetime, truly. Yeah, ch- truly. Shout out to whoever that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when the ship reaches England, Renfield is discovered to be the only living person on the ship. And he's sent to Dr. Seward's um, sanitarium adjoining Carfax Abbey. Uh, So he's basically, like, institutionalized because he looks like a fucking psycho when he gets there and he's the only one on the ship. So um, that night at a London theater, Dracula, who is out and about in uh, the London streets now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, how did he get out? Did no one notice there were just some, like, boxes filled with, like, A giant coffin? I don't know. (laughs) He goes out, he meets Seward and his daughter, Minna. And her fiancé, John Harker, and their family friend, Lucy Weston. <clears throat> Lucy is super fascinated by Crown Dracula. Um, he's acting pretty weird, to be honest, but everybody's, <laughs> like, really into him and thinks he's super cool. Um, that, uh, that night, Dracula enters Lucy's room and feasts on her blood while she sleeps. So that's our first, that's our first kill from, well, our first, you know. In England, our first big kill. First, first confirmed kill. <laughs> the first confirmed Dracula kill. Uh, Renfield is obsessed with uh, eating flies and spiders mm. <laughs> while at the sanitarium. Just a little um, snack. Wait, like, sidebar, sidebar, sidebar. Like, I was so confused about this. Is he a vampire? Because I think that... So Dracula definitely bit him, but I don't think that they, like, exchanged blood no, I don't think they did, and so I was also confused about this, and I think what happened here is that he has to, he's, like, slowly turning, and I'm pretty sure he has to, like, I don't know if he's, like, totally a vampire, but he clearly has some bloodlust. Like, he definitely has yeah, some bloodlust. Yeah, but it's not for humans, and then he also, he's, like, he doesn't, he's not, like, affected by the day, but he is affected by, like, other things, like Wolfsbane and, like, crosses and stuff okay because i was just like i was like is he a vampire i think i think he's not but i think that he is in like a transition period was what i kind of gathered from it that that was my read on that whole situation so he is um he's analyzed by professor van helsing um and he is basically his blood is like analyzed by Professor Van Helsing and dis- and Van Helsing discovers like his obsession with like bloodlust and all this stuff. He starts talking about vampires and um that uh, afternoon Renfield begs Seward to send him away claiming that his nightly cries may disturb Minna's dreams. So he's acting pretty he's acting pretty weird. Um, needless to say, he he has, like, a pretty, like, the acting is actually pretty, like, the guy has, like, a pretty intense psychotic break, and it's actually pretty, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, he did a good job. Well done. It's very good, because I, like, I didn't know it was the same guy as in the first scene, I was like, oh, that's, that's Renfield, like, it's the same guy. Also, props to the makeup artists, because y'all, y'all did something with his eyes, they look real, yeah, real real wild. Real creepy. Um, so, Dracula calls Renfield through the medium of wolf howling. Renfield is disturbed by, uh, when Van Helsing shows him the wolf's bane, as we said, and Van Helsing says it's used, um, for protection from vampires. So, this, we're getting kind of the hints that Dracula's a vampire. You have to understand that when this movie came out, not everybody knew what was going on, because Dracula, while it was a pretty popular book, not everybody read it because that kind of that genre is like not very popular as it is now so like the name dracula you don't automatically assume that it's a vampire so when you're watching this movie for the first time in 1931 you don't really know what's going on until they start kind of talking about vampires and you're like oh is this like a supernatural situation have to put that in context because nothing like this had ever really been on screen before which i think is really interesting because now obviously when we hear the word dracula we're we're like like, duh vampire (laughs) Yeah. yeah Yeah. So Dracula visits um, Minna while she's asleep in her bedroom and bites her as well. 
The next evening, Dracula enters for a visit, and Van Helsing and Harker notice that he doesn't have um, a reflection in a mirror. They, like, open this, like, matchbox or something that has a little mirror in it, and um, it's, it's like, reflecting where Minna and him are talking, and it only sh- you can only see Minna. You can't see Dracula, so they, they see that, and they're just kind of like, what the f- what the fuck? Like, what is going on? John Harker's pretty dumb. He doesn't really know what's going on. But John Van Helsing, so fig- dumb. <laughs> he really is. Poor sweet John Harker. But Van Helsing figures it out and is just like, I think I know what's going on here. He's like a little professor of the occult or something like that. Um, so Van Helsing reveals this to Dracula. He's just like, hey, surprise! And like opens the mirror like right in his face. Dracula freaks out and smashes the mirror away and like storms out of the house. <laughs> so funny. So Van Helsing uh, deduces that Dracula <laughs> is in fact the vampire Wait, that like, is behind the recent tragedies in London. Like, not cool about it. <laughs> He just goes, I'm going to do a little test. And he just walks up to him and he's like, hey, Dracula, like, opens this mirror box. And Dracula's like, this is cue you do your Dracula impression if you want. No. (laughs) No, no, you don't. (laughs) Oh, my God. Was that Italian? (laughs) What was that? I don't know. Well, I don't know, man. That's the thing. Like, Bela Lugosi's performance in this movie is just the most mesmerizing thing. Like, for a movie where not a lot happens, it's just very, like, you're pretty, mes- like, he's amazing in this movie. I mean, you can't look away. You can't look away. You can't look away at his, you can't look away at his, um, eyebrows. <laughs> no. They're, or, they're... or when they, like, show him, like, uh, bewitching people and they shine that, like, weird light across his eyes where you're oh, like. yeah. His eyes are crazy, too. He's just, like, has some pretty crazy eye situation going on but uh he um yeah he just has that voice there's also like i'm pretty sure this movie has a really famous like it's one of the most famous like movie quotes like in the top like something movie quotes it's like uh like the children of the night or whatever yes the the children of the night (laughs) (laughs) again i'm pretty sure you're doing italian it's hard for me to tell though marinara the children of the night and the parmesan Anyway. Sorry to all we, of our Italian we, listeners. We digress. Hungarian <laughs> listeners. I apologize to everyone for that accent. Oh my god. Oh, that was great. <laughs> so, um, anyway, Van Helsing deduces that Dracula is the vampire behind all this stuff. Um, Minna leaves her room, runs to Dracula in the garden where he attacks her. I don't, I'm pretty sure he like lured her out. That was kind of what I, what I got. I'm not not totally sure about that though um harker wants to take minna to like away for safety but is convinced to leave minna behind with van helsing because she's she is starting to act a little weird she's not fully like psycho but she's definitely like having a bit of a situation like i think he's dracula has like hypnotized her Mm -hmm. in a way so renfield cut back to our friend renfield he escapes from his cell and listens to men discussing vampires before um, his attendant takes Renfield back to his cell. Renfield relates to them how Dracula convinced Renfield to allow him to enter the sanitarium by promising him thousands of rats full of blood and life. So that's kind of a weird situation there. Just a little snack for later. Yeah, a little snack for later. <laughs> Dracula enters uh, the Seaward Parlor talks with Van Helsing, uh, Dracula then states that Minna now belongs to him, warns Van Helsing to return to his home country, and, like, basically threatens him, because Van Helsing has figured out that Dracula's a vampire. Uh, Van Helsing swears to excavate Carfax Abbey to dis- and destroy v- Dracula. Dracula attempts to hypnotize Van Helsing, but he resists. His, 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 his conviction is too strong to to get Dracula's, like, to be a part of his hypnosis. Um, as Dracula lunges at Van Helsing, he draws a crucifix from his coat, forcing Dracula to retreat. Harker visits Minna on her terrace, and she speaks of how much she loves nights and fogs. And I'm like, same, to be honest. Honestly, girl, same. I thought the same thing. I was thing. like, I, I too love night and fog. Um, this is kind of a w- interesting, she starts, like, talking to herself a little bit as well. I think in the same or she's like... Oh, so she's talking to, like, she's talking to the bat. Like, it's... 
Dracula's the bat, and then he's, like, flying around, like, clearly telling her things, and then she's, like, responding to him. And then Harker's, like, hitting the bat because he doesn't know that yeah. it's Dracula, and and he thinks she's just, like, talking to herself. So a black, yeah, so a bat's, like, flying above, like, above the, like, squeaking to Minna, and she's, like, talking to it. Um, she then, it's telling <laughs> she's like, her to attack. She's like, he said what? Renfeld said what about me? Renfeld's such a bitch. He's like... What are you talking what about? Bitch. What a little bitch. Well, then she attacks Harker. Bitch, eat your so flies. <laughs> so she attacks Harker. We assume that's what Dracula told her to do, um, to just, like, kind of go after him. Van Helsing and Seward save him. They, like, kind of jump in, and then Minna confesses what Dracula's done to her and tells Harker that their love is finished. Also, Harker and Minna are, like, engaged or something like that. But I don't he's, think I mentioned that. He's super he's kind of, boring and dumb, so whatever. Yeah, he's kind of a wet noodle. Well said. Yeah, that's what I. That's kind of what I think about him. Anyway, Dracula hypnotizes um, hypnotizes someone into removing Wolfsbane. I think it's like Minna's maid or something like that. He hypnotizes her into removing the Wolfsbane from Minna's neck. She's wearing Wolfsbane. Like Van Helsing has like put Wolfsbane on her neck, and opening the windows. Van Helsing and Harker see Renfield heading for Carefax Abbey, and they also see Dracula with Minna in the Abbey. Uh, the scene is really good. The atmosphere and like this, this like set of this is like ten out of ten. It's, it's it's pretty cool. It's really good. Yeah, when Harker shouts to Minna, Dracula thinks Renfield has led them there, and he kills Renfield in in a twist. Although Renfield was probably gonna die, I think True. we could all assume assume that was gonna happen. Dracula is hunted by Van Helsing and Harker, um, who know that Dracula is forced to sleep in his coffin during the daylight and the sun is now rising, so they have the upper hand. Van Helsing prepares a wooden stake for uh, while Harker searches for Minna. Van Helsing then impales Dracula through the heart, killing him, causing Minna to return to normal. And that is how the movie ends. <laughs> the end. It's pretty it's pretty it's pretty interesting, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, very, very fascinating. I think we can kind of jump into an analysis. So I think the biggest thing for me in this movie that really, like, caught my eye, and I don't know about you, was it, I just think that the, the horror aspect and how this was kind of the first horror movie and how much of an impact you can see that this has had on the genre and, like, on society's um, idea and kind of knowledge of what horror looks like and means and I think that just totally comes from like how how creepy the set design is it's like pretty chilling and I I just found it so interesting like it was so mesmerizing watching it you just like want to see the sets like I was just like I don't care about anything in London I just want to be in like the castle and like all that stuff but I I found that really interesting and I just I feel like the something Universal did that no studio could do was just use, like, they didn't have large budgets and they had very small confined spaces, so they couldn't make these big, like, kind of, you know, wide open, very kind of glamorous set designs. So they're very kitschy, they're very low budget, and they're amazing. Like, they're fantastic. They really utilize a lot of different tricks and um, and things to kind of make it really chilling. So... These movies, Universal Films in general, were very carefully prepared by directors like Browning to have the proper atmosphere. The purpose of this was to kind of menace and kind of like pierce into the audience's deepest fears without actually showing anything so that they could get past the moral censors. I know we're not in the post-code enforcement, but at this time in Hollywood, we do have like the emergence of these Catholic groups coming in as, like, kind of reviewing these movies and critiquing a lot of, like, censorship stuff in these films, and we have different states having their own censorship kind of, like, rules. And so horror, having never really been done and kind of being frowned upon, were kind of, like, ripe for being, like, totally cut apart and right. censored and, and everything like that. So how, what they did to kind of avoid any of that was just create these, like, incredibly gothic sets so that it's it still can be like you can be really creeped out and have these like really creepy feelings without really seeing anything and i think interesting like hitchcock really uses that i think you know we see that a lot in his movies of like not really putting the horror on the screen but like that really started with these like universal films i mean they were really the precursor for that i think yeah because they don't show anything they don't even show him biting them like 
there's there's no blood at all, which I was actually kind of surprised by. But it's, yeah, I think there's a lot of cuts and like, I, I agree, there's a lot of implication that things happened, but they never actually show it, which again, does make it creepy because it leaves you to imagine it. Um, but yeah, the sets are amazing they're phenomenal and i think they're carefully designed Mm -hmm. like you said like there's no blood there's no gore you don't really see him biting people it always happens like off screen you know things like that and he does these yeah he does this like weird (laughs) you can't see me but i'm doing like a weird thing with my hand which is what he does a lot you did the hand you did the dracula like hand movement thing um but these sets are designed to evoke this kind of like certain feeling of supernatural horror that really makes you scared when you're of like what you're seeing on screen even though you're not seeing anything and if you don't do that right it's not really scary because you know like i said like this movie was it is adapted from a stage play and you can tell the way it's filmed is very much filmed as a stage play like not really going on many sets like it's all in one room you know, for the most part, and um, it's. I also found it really funny, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I always just find it really funny watching movies, like, right around 1930, 1931, because we're, like, we're only a year or two post, like, you know, silent film type movies, and the acting in silent films is, like, a lot different than, than the acting in, like, talking pictures, because it's, there's no sound, so you don't right. you have to be, like, way more animated. And so actors still hadn't really figured out how to do that. <laughs> like, talking pictures. Yeah. <laughs> In this movie, it's, it's very obvious. very over the top. And again, it feels very, like, stage play in that sense, yeah. too. Like, I, I feel like you kind of get that a little bit of, like, kind of overacting or, like, over facial expressioning. Like, people are just very animated. Yeah, 100%. And I think it, it not in every movie does that work but for some reason it does work in this movie because that's kind of the world we're in yeah. i think i think it's funny it's it's camp before camp was a thing right you know it what totally i mean is. it's just over the top it's just totally over the top and i think it works because in this movie you're not really in a normal universe per se you're kind of in this like surrealist tableau of like gothic supernatural horror and so you can have these, like, really over-the-top acting moments with characters when they're, you know, they're very, like, their arm movements are elongated <laughs> and their eyes are doing weird things and they just, they're, it's it's kind of like, if you've seen Singing in the Rain, that one, the scene where they're, like, doing their talking picture for the first time and they're like, no, no, no. It's a yes, lot like that. Yes, yes, it's it's a lot like that. So I think that was like a very real thing that was going on with people trying to adapt to this like new style of filmmaking with with how to just like sound and act normal in a movie, not so like over over exaggerated because like you said like silent films and stage stage acting, silent film acting and stage acting are very similar because you have to be very animated. Silent films because there's no words or sound and stage because your your audience is right there. So you have to be like very animated. And not only do we have, are we not only coming out of, you know, right out of silent films making this movie, this is also adapted from a stage play. So you just have these like over the top like acting choices that are just so funny, but it works in this movie because everything about this movie is over the top, in my opinion. Agreed. And we love it. Absolutely amazing. So... A couple of really interesting things, and I think there are two main aspects of horror. One of them I actually hadn't thought about until I was watching and reading a little bit about it, and I think it's really fascinating. So one thing that makes the horror aspect of this movie so interesting to me is that, and you can kind of see a contrast between Dracula and Renfield with this, so tell me if you agree with me. Go with, go with okay, me. Okay, I'm excited. Kind of a, it's kind of a stretch of a theory. So there's a couple, there's definitely like a couple of you know, aspects of horror in this film. One of them that is a little unexpected is Dracula's has a really, has really easy access to society. And I think that you don't, it's just a very chilling thing to think like they didn't really question letting this man like into their lives and they didn't know anything about him. And he like, we're watching it and he's like super creepy up front. Like he's very weird. Yeah. And he's not acting like, he's acting sus. 
but he has this title and a lot of wealth and so they just kind of welcome it welcome him into their like group and their you know their world and their society with open arms and he's not really considered an outsider even though he's from a foreign country because he's has this money and this title so he's automatically accepted without question about knowing anything about him he's like totally welcomed had he not had that had he not had that title and that money he wouldn't have access to these people that he was just murdering that nobody really questioned him like nobody thought it was him until van helsing kind of figured it out by happenstance really so if you look at renfield like while renfield was a real he's like a realtor he was a working class guy he also was acting pretty fucking creepy like Dracula's also acting pretty psycho. Renfield's a little bit more exaggerated about it. He doesn't have this access to wealth and class or anything, so he's automatically straight off the boat put into a sanitarium. So it's just, like, this different, like, thing of... You can't, like, it's... You don't really know who to trust if you're just, like, the guy who you think is the good guy because he has all this wealth and title. Is You're not even asking anything about him and letting him into your world. He, that's actually kind of scary to think about that so it's like um, the person fascinating yes i mean yeah and i think that's something that we'll circle back to that in the bookend of our october thing with the movie that we're gonna do we're not gonna spoil it but the movies that we're gonna talk about at the very end because they they also do this and i really think it's it's a very subtle aspect of this horror but i think that's actually one of the scariest things it's kind of this like it's kind of this like super exaggerated like you can't really trust the your neighbor person next door if you don't really yeah. know anything about them but you're not questioning anything about it you automatically assume they're a good person because they have they have they title. have status yeah he's a white man with status basically and it turns out he's the villain like he's the bad guy and nobody even nobody even thought to question it had they just actually been skeptical of how how weird he was behaving he probably wouldn't have had as easy of a time just like randomly murdering people so that's a very scary thing i think um i think of, yeah. of this movie and obviously and still the something aspect. that's like very relevant like Re- very relevant for sure yeah it's- yeah I find that to be a very interesting social commentary. Very subtle, though. Yeah, it is very subtle. I mean, I think that there's, especially around this time, I feel like there is a lot of, like, commentary around social class in the films that were being made. Um, Yeah, think about the time we're coming out. It's, you know, right in the height of the Great Depression. Exactly. Um, Whereas, like, in the 70s and 80s, which we'll get to in our next episodes, um you know, it's really, like, an outsider who then becomes, you know, weaponized and wants to take revenge because they were ostracized from society, um, which, so it, it's it's interesting because you do kind of get these, like, two extremes, but both of them end in murder. Murder. <laughs> but, yeah, and obviously the second aspect of horror is just, like, the oozing atmosphere of, like, gothic, surrealist, supernatural, chilling affect or whatever i mean it's just incredible everything that put together i think those two things just really make this like the film the kind of culturally iconic film that it is and it really stands up today because it's because there isn't any blood and murder scene or whatever there it it doesn't get like can't it doesn't become bad over time Mm -hmm. like you can't be like oh the effects are bad or whatever because there aren't really any effects (laughs) and like i think even for the time it was made the bats and stuff were not high budget and I think that was just totally part of the like this you're in this world and you're just gonna have to go with this and it's just totally brilliant I think they just totally like they just went really hard with the atmosphere of the set and it just I can't get over how good it is and I think Bella Lugosi is just this embodiment of that like his performance is so creepy and like weird and and over the top and I love it over the top I mean the amount of times they do a close-up on his eyes and his face and he just totally nails it (laughs) every time it's just incredible so um yeah I I find that kind of really really interesting and you know talking about Bella Lugosi I mean he was his performance was a smash hit obviously great and that's it's you know it's kind of there's a good and bad about that is that incredible cultural icon iconic performance like through time like you were talking about this um, over eight decades later but unfortunately for him he was typecast for the rest of his career he didn't really 
have much of a film career after this. Um, yeah. Really before this, he was a stage actor, and it was hard for him to get normal roles. I mean, he was European, he was an immigrant, he did have an accent, so it worked for this kind of role, but he couldn't do that with everything else, you know what I mean? And so he just became so known for this, and it just he couldn't really get away from being considered this like Dracula figure so it's kind of one of those things you know we talked about that in Psycho with Janet Lee as well and like Norman Bates um Anthony Perkins is Norman Bates so just it's it's kind of we kind of see that interestingly enough in horror genre a lot I think um the people just get so you know known for these specific roles that they just can't really like break out and do anything else so um yeah it's very very fascinating but in terms of the horror genre, there was, you know, it's hard for us to understand this, but that wasn't a thing. This was the first, like, horror movie, so that wasn't a thing. That's literally so crazy to me, because it's also, like, everything, I mean, I feel like these, these, like, ones that they created, these, like, Columbia horror, like, you know, sorry, universal horror, like, set of films that they created, are just, like, so iconic and, like, the foundation of what we think about for all things creepy and, like, everything that we know about, like, vampires and whatever. I feel like this is, like, where that started. Like, this is the genesis of it, which is, like, fascinating. It's crazy to watch because you watch all these things and you're like, wow, this is filled with tropes. And then you're like, no, it's not tropes. Like, this movie created the tropes. (laughs) It's insane. And it totally is, like, what we think about the modern, like, idea of a creepy vampire, it's literally, the precedent is from this movie. It's Bela Lugosi's Dracula. And then things went, like, wildly downhill with Twilight. Oh oh my god, (laughs) we're not even, just so everyone can have an ease of mind, that is not on our list. We are not gonna be- Don't worry. It is a horror classic, but not for the reasons you think. Oh my god, we're not wasting our time. And then Bela Lugosi's skin starts to sparkle. <laughs> Bella Lugosi moves to Forks, Washington. <laughs> oh my he's god, like, plot twist. He's like, I don't know, I just like, I love Edward, but I also love, what's the other guy's name? Jacob. Jacob. <laughs> oh my god, I hate, I hate Twilight. Um, you know, going to the the fact that horror, like, wasn't a thing, and that wasn't anything people had ever seen before, um, there was a lot of worry around a major movie studio releasing this movie because the film industry was unsure if an American audience was ready for a full-length supernatural horror well, movie. especially during, like, the height of, like, the Great Depression, <laughs> where people are going to films to, like, escape their yeah. their daily life and, like, hopefully find something uplifting and, like... Well, exactly, yeah. and exactly, and that's the whole thing. Is like, are, is Amer- is the American public ready for this full length supernatural horror film with no comic relief and with no trick ending that downplays or explains the supernatural aspects? Because not only had a horror movie never been made, a supernatural movie had never been made. That's so crazy. that idea is just like so into the abyss for like the American audience. Like it's so over the head of like the creativity that an like an average American audience could understand at the time that they were like, I'm not we're not really sure this is gonna work out, but it sure did. Like it actually was wildly su- successful what happened. The reason that it they the film industry marketed this movie so well was at the opening night of this film at the Roxy Theater in New York, that's where it opened, so many audience members fainted during the movie <laughs> because they were so terrified at the supernatural stuff and the horror happening on screen. I was thinking about this and I was like, what scenes were they terrified? Which from? is like wild because then I was like, as like a as like a follow up, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street, which was like insanely yeah. gory. I mean, it's a slasher film, and I'm just like looking yeah. at like these two movies. Yeah, I, mean, I think about the that violence a lot. now. Have you seen the new Dracula that was on Netflix? Yeah. I didn't finish it because it was like it was too it's much insane. for me. Well, like American Horror Story is so violent and gory and just disgusting. And like I, I think about this pretty often. Like, what if somebody from like nineteen thirty time traveled to now, and then I oh showed God. them a movie now? They, they would, would probably vomit. They would die. <laughs> but also, like, I don't think I've ever like fainted because of. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anyone, like, faints now at, like, a horror movie. They're like, oh, I was, like, so scared, but that's crazy. Yeah, no, I think that people were, like, emotionally pretty weak. <laughs> they were, like, they were, like, with every ticket sale, you will get smelling salts and cocaine. 
Well, everyone was also ate like one like almond a day. Like everyone was famished as well. So it's just like it was the Great Depression. Nobody That's ate true. anything. They were like, we can't tell if they're fainting because they're scared or because they're starving. Because they're malnourished and they eat like one piece of ham a day. That's like it's it. But um, yeah, no, the people were fainting. So classic film industry they were like we have an idea so as a publicity stunt they like marketed the shit out of the fact that people were fucking fainting in the movies totally worked everybody went just out of pure curiosity of like what this movie was about it and it show. became like no a such thing as bad publicity <laughs> no such thing as bad publicity just publicity, depends on so. how you spin it <laughs> yeah so that that totally worked um let's talk about censorship <laughs> because I that was a thing that happened on this, this movie is, Oh yeah, this was super fascinating. I did not know this, and I was like, 1931, you don't think censorship, but no. it was in fact re-released in 1936, so that is post-code, and so two scenes were cut from this movie oh. because of censorship, and they were lost, so the version that we have is the censored version. Like, the original version does not exist anymore. Is, wow, is that why, like, it doesn't 100% make sense? Yes, kind <laughs> of. Well, what the, the part of it, for me... This made sense, and I was just like, oh, that's why that is that way. So the original version, what they cut out of it, what, there's two things. The first one was Dracula had death groans in the original version, so every time he murdered someone, it was like a violent sound. But in the version that we watch, it's fully silent, and it's because they muted that. They mute the death groans, and we don't have the version that has the sound that oh he God. makes when he kills somebody. I would literally kill to hear that. Yeah, literally. So he makes these, like, murder sounds, and then it was muted for re-release because it was deemed to be, like, too scary. Oh my god, I'm dying. Incredible. But it's, it, it makes sense because when you're watching, this movie has, like, no, like, music or anything. It's, like, very, there are moments where it's just, like, fully silent, and it's when he's, like, killing people. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, this is, like, kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember looking around and being like, Hey? <laughs> yeah, it's because it's muted. There are like murder sounds actually supposed to be happening. Like he makes oh. like growls and stuff. My God. Yeah. So that is hilarious. To to like. I would as well. Um, the second thing that was cut, and this I would kill to see this, and I think this is amazing that they did this. So there was an epilogue in this movie. It was like a curtain speech. The actor that played Van Helsing at the end of the movie, like, reappeared on the screen after the credits, and he did a curtain speech, and he informed the audiences of this. He said, in the little speech that he would make, he would say, just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, a word before you go. We hope the memories of Dracula and Renfield won't give you bad dreams, so just a word of reassurance. When you get home tonight and the lights have been turned out and you are afraid to look behind the curtains and you dread to see a face appear at the window, why just pull yourself together and remember that after all, after all, there are such things as vampires. <laughs> and it would end. And so they cut that scene because they, the censorship board feared that it would encourage a belief in the supernatural. <laughs> all right. So, Wow. <laughs> they, that doesn't exist anymore. That curtain speech does not exist anymore. For some reason, I thought that maybe they cut some scenes out of the movie because there were definitely things that felt like a little bit choppy. <laughs> oh, no. They did that, that. No, not that. was that. just... It was just choppy. All right. That cool. Was, that was just the filmmaking. That, the was, that was just so the So this, this curtain scene was in all of the Universal Horror movies, and they cut it out of all of them. So Which is so funny. Yeah. And so it's just like pull yourself together and just remember that all this stuff is real real so like i hope you sleep really fucking bad tonight janet and, yeah <laughs> apparently it would like scare the shit out of people <laughs> so and i'm sure he said it in like kind of a creepy way or something did they but, faint though <laughs> maybe that's what made them faint maybe they were just like vomiting oh my <laughs> you know, god, like, oh my god. <laughs> it's crazy i'm just like what the f-? so it like would encourage this belief in the supernatural is like so random so yeah, I can't mean, have that. <laughs> God, unbelievably funny to me. But I would like die to see that. I'm like I would kill to see that, and I would k- kill to hear those death groans as well. That's what they're called. What I what I wouldn't do. <laughs> I thought you meant like when he was being killed, like he was. But I've seen it. Oh no no! When he was killing others, he would make a noise. <laughs> like there was like a vampire like noise that he would make, and they thought it was too scary, so they cut it out. <laughs> I want to know what it is. We can use our imaginations. It's like... <laughs> it's like a dog. It's like a dog. 
Why would it be a dog? I don't know. Because he's a wolf. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> Oh my god, I want to show the 1931 audience a little show called True Blood and see how they react to that, because that shit is gory as hell. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Tons of blood in that show. My god. But anyway, I mean, that's, I mean, Dracula, I think, all in all, just to wrap it up, obviously a cultural icon, a huge film milestone that's legacy has lasted for more than 80 years. Obviously we're going to be talking about its legacy because we're going to be going through the kind of evolution of, of horror and we'll see a lot of these tropes play out in other movies that we talk about. Influence over horror movies just exponentially grand. I mean, it just had such a huge, huge influence and to this day it's considered one of the best movies Um one of the you know best movies ever made, one of the best horror movies ever made, the original horror movie. So we thought it would be a really good place to start for this episode. I will end on a fun fact. The original Dracula poster is the most expensive movie poster of all time. Wow. Only, there's only one, there are only, excuse me, two copies of the Style A poster from 1931 when it was released. One of them sold in 2017 for $525,000. Wow. Which is the most expensive sale for a movie poster ever. That's crazy. What a fun (laughs) fact. So so you can imagine, like, how important, you know, obviously to this day still this movie is. And the name, if you just hear the name Dracula, the images and the, you know, kind of like the scenes and sets, the atmosphere that can just, like, run through your head with one word that's how important I mean it's just a hugely important legacy this movie has and we're definitely going to see that throughout the month as we talk about the rest of the movies and I thought you know this would be just a great place to start because this is where horror started so that's how we're gonna start the month of October and we're gonna continue on um with our double features throughout this month and uh yeah I think you'll be getting a new episode tomorrow as well and what will that episode be Lydia? Um, Halloween, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a minute. I was like, uh, I don't have the list pulled up. I'm pretty... I hope it's Halloween because that's what I'm just going to (laughs) watch. I did it's Halloween because I just watched it. I hope that is. I hope that it is too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised. I just go go off script, just watch something random. Super random. Tomorrow's movie is going to be Bambi. Scariest movie of all (laughs) fucking time. (laughs) Ruined me as a child. And then we're going to do Little Mermaid because that ruined me. Just kidding. No. That, just to clarify. That's um, November's theme, Sarah, is movies that ruined us <laughs> as children. It's <laughs> actually really funny. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, tomorrow you will be, we'll be dropping another episode and it will be uh, Halloween, the 1978 classic, also kind of considered the first like slasher of the mm. horror genre, the kind of first, like, where you see a lot of slasher tropes from that movie. Fantastic movie, just watched it. So great. With <laughs> our with our it. queen, Jamie Lee Curtis, who does have a fun connection to Hitchcock. If you haven't listened to our Psycho episode, make sure to listen to it. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that in tomorrow's episode as well. But, yeah, just literally so excited for this month of fun, spooky, creepy horror films. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll be at you tomorrow with Halloween and another fun cocktail um, that we will debut as a surprise to all of us because we haven't decided it yet. <laughs> but we have a pretty great burgeoning list of uh, oh, yeah. autumnal cocktails. So we love our we love an autumnal cocktail. But um, until tomorrow, thank you for joining us on our uh, spooky season special, and we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, cheers. cheers. <laughs>